0: This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivali. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Abrupt Future. This week, we talk with Professor Murtaza Haider, a professor of data science at Ryerson University and a director of the Urban Analytics Institute. First of all, Professor Haider, thank you for being here and welcome to Abrupt Future. Thank you for inviting me really a pleasure to be with you here today. So my first question for you. In May, your institute released a research report on telework during COVID-19, and God knows a lot of that happened. And you looked into the prevalence of work from home or telework and its impact on all kind of social um, issues. So First of all, can you tell a little bit about your research institute and then about the the main finding in terms of the magnitude of telework during COVID-19?
1: Sure. Um, Urban Analytics Institute is based out of the Ted Rogers School of Management at Ryerson University. And essentially, it is a collection of, uh, it brings together people from the Department of Real Estate Management and Civil Engineering, Computer Science and Urban Planning. It's a a platform for people who are interested in using data and analytics to find solutions to urban challenges, and um, several postdocs, masters, and graduate students are uh, are based out of the Institute. In May um, of this year, um, we were um, able to release a report uh, on the extent of telework in Canada. And we were fortunate to have access to two recently released data sets by Statistics Canada, which is Canada's um, official statistical agency. And um, it is because of their um, very uh, concentrated and timely efforts that they were able to extract or obtain information from a large database of business owners or employees, employers, and at the same time, they were able to conduct online surveys of uh, people who were part of their um, larger uh, employment uh, survey, a labor force survey, and a subset of that labor force survey was um, quizzed about the state of uh, telework in their lives. So uh, the because the data sets were made readily available by Statistics Canada to the Canadian research community, uh, we were able to get our hands um, right away and uh, we analyzed both data sets. And what we found is the following. We found that... Um, Um, as uh, the lockdown conditions were imposed in Canada by mid-March, by the end of March, um, there were about 38% of the businesses in Ontario, or roughly 34% of the businesses in Canada, who reported that at least 50% or more of their workers were working remotely. Now, it means that uh, across Canada, more than one in three businesses reported that at least half of their workforce um, was working from home or remotely. And um, to give you an idea as to how big a change this was, just a month earlier, that is um, before before February 1st or up to the end of January of this year in Canada, only 11% of the businesses reported that half or more of their workforce was working remotely. So that statistics jumped from 11% at the end of January to 34% at the end of March for Canada. And that number jumped from 12% of the businesses in Ontario to 38% businesses in Ontario who reported that at least half of their workforce is working remotely. So this kind of shift, this kind of change, this kind of adoption, given the circumstances, is completely unparalleled. There is no known history of having such a massive transformation of work culture, work ethics, work logistics at such a wide scale. People have talked about it. Um, many companies have uh, started speaking of a office-less future in the 80s and that gained traction in the 90s and more so in the 2000s, but never, um, ever people saw or expected a change of that magnitude. Now, this finding is is for today's situation, and it's a time-dependent situation. It means that things may go back to some other normal or some other base in the future when a vaccine is discovered or some other business models emerge but i for one believe that this trend is not going to disappear so this is just one uh, of the two data sets that we analyzed the other data set that we got hold of uh, was even more interesting and that was the one that where i mentioned that the statistics canada surveyed employees rather than employers and what they revealed what it revealed was fantastic but just amazing it revealed that for those who were uh, working from home And we're working from home before COVID-19 and continue to work from home during COVID-19. That represents 12% of the labor force or work. So 12% of the people reported that saying we were working from home uh, before COVID-19. We continue to do so now. Then for those who said that we were working somewhere else before COVID-19, but now we are working from home. That number is now 27.2%. So you put together 27.2%, that's a shift. And then the base is 12.1%. So you realize that 40% of the Canadian workers are actually working from home right now. And then those, if you add to that, those who were not present at work, those who were not working for whatever reason, either because of COVID-19 or some other reason, that number is another 22%. So 40% of Canadians are working from home. 22% of Canadians are home just because they can't go to work for whatever reason. So 60% of Canada's labor force is right now at home. And there's about roughly 38-39% of the people who continue to work from outside of their home. So from this, if you ask me to generalize, I would say that in the Canadian economic system, there are about 40% of the people whose work will continue to be Um, outside of their homes. These are the people that will not be able to work from home um, given that under these very restrictive conditions, they still have to go out and work. So that's the base that will never convert. but then be anywhere between zero and sixty percent is the base or the or the potential to convert from uh, from whatever they work now or, um, um, for example if they have been continue- if they have been working from outside. Um, so that number could be as high as what it is now 40 percent and theres some more people who can join this group uh, from those who are not working right now. The only caveat I would add to these numbers is that this of people working from home right now are partially under the strict lockdown conditions, partly because of the other restrictions. But when these restrictions are lifted, I believe an untold number, a large or a small number, and I don't have the means to know by how much. But from these 40%, some will go back to traveling to work, whereas the rest uh, will perhaps adapt to this new reality so this is in a nutshell the core lessons drawn from our report
0: and these are huge numbers i mean when you think about that we we all have this feeling that everybody's working from home but when you look at that six out of ten basically it's a fairly large section of the canadian population it showed that it can work right because obviously the economy is still working we might face some some issues but overall Banks, technology, financial services, other industries are still going through. So, why is it you think that we were not more proactive in generalizing work from home before?
1: Absolutely, this is this is the thing that I think a lot about. Uh, that um, if you if you take a stock of the technological innovation that has taken place since the arrival of smartphones which i think was a big landmark but that's not the only big technology that would have facilitated the switch for uh, white collar workers or knowledge economy workers working from home because complementing this smartphone technology are, are the uh, web conferencing or video conferencing technology you have the virtual private networks you have cloud computing you have software as a service of all these technologies uh suggest to me that this shift to telework uh, should have gradually increased and continue to increase over the past 20-30 years. Especially the earlier landmark was the email and then the ability to work and dial into your enterprise systems from home. All of this existed at a greater and higher frequency in the past 10 to 12 years. And I think one of the reasons why this did not happen is because there's the the managerial class in the hierarchy of labor force. These are the individuals whose job is to ensure that the deliverables are delivered on time, that the people are following a the discipline. These are the managers of work. And um, and these uh, individuals perhaps confused the presenteeism that people's physical presence with efficiency or, or 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 talent. So a cue to this would be these um, conversations where people would say, oh yeah, no, such and such person is on my team, very happy with this person because he shows up early in the morning, first one to be in, last one to leave. I'm really happy with this guy. Now, yeah, yeah. You, you've heard this from managers and the moment you hear this, you should realize that this manager is is, is probably measuring the wrong metric. Um, they are actually confusing presenteeism with efficiency. What if someone can do the same job in two hours and do not spend nine hours doing it and um, and they can do it remotely so though you don't even have to pay for their chair, desk, and other physical infrastructure and assets that you have to maintain for that worker. But that worker, because of this efficiency, is able to deliver. But perhaps in the same metrics of efficiency and worker productivity, that person would not be a great person, great worker, primarily because they are able to finish the job, and and now you have nothing more for them. And and as workers become more and more efficient, managers have to find more and more work for them. So I think this was partly one of the reasons why we do not see. Uh, a very large increase in remote work over the years because the managing class, uh, the manager said, well, if they're not in front of me, how would I know they're working? Well, you would know they're working if they are delivering the assignments and tasks on time and of quality. So instead of measuring the deliverables, instead of evaluating the deliverables of, for their timing and quality and, and excellence, we just ended up measuring how long a person is as if they're working in a, on a In a manufacturing plant, and they have to stand at a a conveyor belt, and the moment they are not at the conveyor belt, things will fall apart, but that's not how the knowledge economy works. So a lot of the metrics that we had developed about worker productivity actually came from agriculture and manufacturing, and they were brought, the same metrics were brought into white-collar uh, management systems and we just started to confuse physical presence as an ins- as a as an indicator of worker's efficiency so that is one of the reasons the other reason perhaps is that uh, people do like going to work i would not uh, ad- um, argue against it i think people like going to work that's why they spend so much time on clothing and shoes and ties and accessorize their dresses uh, because the the going to work allows them to uh, to be a, at their level best and and the in the absence um, i mean how many pajamas can you buy to be working from home i mean or sweatpants right so 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 there's this personal desire for people to get up and get dressed and look good and and go and 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 so so that is there as a motivation as well um the then the other thing is that there are people um there i think there are very various kinds of workers but there are workers who really need to be um in in the presence of other workers they have always got questions and they actually benefit from um being in the presence of others these are the people who would always ask how do you do this where is this file how can i change the color of this uh, this word or how can I open this file? And and my Excel has crashed. What should do? I do? My Zoom meeting is not working. My microphone is shut. So all these kinds of colleagues, they rely on their colleagues, which they wouldn't be able to do so if they are sitting at home. So they would like to go to work as well. And then this 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 idea of diversity that people would lo- like not to be confined to 100, 200 square feet of a space uh, day in and day out working from home. But At the end of the day, I think uh, companies were, um, the bigger reason was that the companies thought that if their employees are not in front of them, then certainly they're not working and certainly they're not productive and certainly we're paying them too much and certainly we are losing money. So let's get them into this office. And as long as they're in front of us on their computers, just updating their Facebook pages who cares they're working so that kind of mis mismanagement on part of management probably is one of the bigger reasons that we did not have telework blossom or t- t- take take hold now this comes at a big cost getting people transported every day at least twice from their homes to work and then from work to home back. It comes at a tremendous societal cost. It comes at traffic congestion. People spend hours in traffic congestion or being stuck in public transit. And now with public transit, if you are um, with this COVID-19, there's an additional challenge of of, of, uh, of physical safety um, being not being overly exposed or unduly exposed to the virus in, in, in transit systems that may get congested despite the best attempts by transit agencies not to have them congested. At the same time, the billions, hundreds of billions of kilometers people travel in North America every day trying to get to work and from work to home ends up burning um, fossil fuels and our reliance on imported fossil fuel and then the greenhouse gas emissions that we could produce. I think transportation sector produces 27 to 30% of the greenhouse gas emissions, bulk of which um, is from a private automobile. And private automobiles spends a lot of time being congested during the morning and afternoon peak hours trying to get to and from work. All of this comes at a larger societal cost just to the people, the time they spent wasted in traffic or in public transit, the physical um, costs, out-of-pocket costs that they bear in buying cars, maintaining them, fueling them, or all All of this um, uh, could be served or um, could be addressed to some extent through telework, but we decided not to do that in the past.
0: And we've seen some companies making some pretty bold claim about the fact that, and I quote, office centricity could be over, right? I believe it's Shopify who said that. What do you think of, oh, the, yeah. of these claims?
1: Yes. So if you think about it, the, um, the I'll go with some companies that we looked at in the um, uh, in our report. We, we got a, a source from, we sourced it from BBC. Um, Amazon says that their employees can work from home until at least October. That was in May. Barclays is a big bank, 70,000 staff. They said that the people can work from home. and um, And they also said that a big city office may be a thing of the past. Um, that's their CEO, uh, uh, Mr. Staley. Facebook uh, extended work from home till the end of 2020. Google said you can work from home till the end of the year. MasterCard says most of its employees can work from home until they are ready to return. Um, this is MasterCard. Microsoft said working from home is extended until October. Royal Bank of Sta- uh, Scotland uh, work from home until the end of September. Spotify, 4000 workforce. Yeah, take the rest of the year you can work from home. Twitter said um, you can work from home permanently forever. So you you look at this shift in culture, and that's a big shift because at one point I think IBM also embraced it, and still a large number of people that I know continue to work from home or they come work for a well, balance between working from home and going to work when, when it's needed. And then you you can contrast it with Marissa Meyer's statement. If you, she was heading C- in Yahoo. And one of the steps she took, I can't recall the year, but we have referenced it in our ro- report. She said that um, uh, no people have to come to work because um, uh, great ideas are born when people are face to face. And then they ended telework for, for uh, Yahoo. So I think this grace shift is allowing us to understand how ridiculous our earlier decision-making was, primarily because we put so much burden on people and so much burden on the employees and employers by creating, by having this need to come to work. Um, there are people who think that uh, uh, I have colleagues. My, it's not a criticism, but it's a reality that I have colleagues who specialize in economics, and they write papers about how productivity increases when people come to work and work from home, or work from office, and these chance encounters and whatnot. And and the reality is that if you walk into an economics department in any university, you will notice that almost all office doors are closed. Um, a, people are not there, and if they are there, they rather work from a uh, closed office so professors do not open doors they actually those doors are closed but the same people when we write these reports we think people are actually interacting with others and, and communicating in an exchange of ideas which we don't do so we are preaching something that we we are not practicing and so at the end of the day I don't know how much of this this interaction really happens uh, people do make plans to go out for drinks after the work and that kind of thing but then if they have great ideas this seldom them disclose because they know ideas don't have copyrights until an idea is executed, you have nothing in your hand. So um, so I, I, I'm not one of those people who believe that there's a tremendous amount of innovation happening because people are face-to-face. Um, I think that face-to-face interactions could happen. I mean, look at all this innovation that software companies have seen. Um, I, I mean, it would be ridiculous to assume that all the code that we see in the world is written in North America or San Francisco or or, or Silicon Valley. I think India continued to be one of the largest producers of software in the world, and their their they were the employees and the employers were all in North America or Europe. So so we had seen how telework had worked and created all sorts of innovations in the software world because the first generation of telework was not working from home in a different suburb. The first incidence of mass incidence of telework was the software houses getting their bulk of their software coding being done or at least if not the bulk a large segment of their software coding being done by by software houses that they established in different cities in india and china and elsewhere so if innovation can happen in software industry by telework why not other industries i i just have this question that i would like to see or someone should say that tell me that um those software houses that did not rely on telework and forced or required all the programmers to come to the head office and code in in, in in the presence of each other were more profitable than those who outsource coding to not just suburbs but different countries. I mean, these are real things that one has to answer. I'm not saying that I'm right, but I'm saying that uh, I would like to see more evidence to support the fact that you have to be in front face to face with other people to, for innovation to take. It's
0: it's true, right? I mean, we always hear about the importance of serendipity and then the water cooler talk at a uh, coffee machine conversation, but I hardly seen any evidence that this is actually fueling innovation, right? I can see how it helps for socializing and it has a value, but maybe we've have been adding a lot of importance to those factors versus maybe a more structured way of working and having people actually able to focus on the important work. I mean you're giving the example of the economics professor shutting their door, but frankly when I work into an office, I try to find a quiet spot so that I can go into the the deep work. I do enjoy some socializing, but overall most of my job like many knowledge worker requires quite a bit amount of concentration and focus. So Absolutely. I, I think you know this is a this is a good time mm-hmm. to have the these open and candid conversation about how Work should be done. I mean,
1: I would like to know who came up with this water cooler. I think if I were a water cooler manufacturer, I would come up with this idea that, you know, water cooler conversations are very important. (laughs) (laughs) So so I would like to know who paid for this. The great bitch for marketing, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So somebody must have started this, this, uh, you know, this idiom of water cooler conversations. I think there was a water cooler company behind it.
0: So if we keep evolving to where more distributed than remote work, How do you see cities evolving, right? Because cities are still a a large part of human population work in cities. But now if I can work into, let's put it this way, a nicer location with more greeneries, maybe uh, it's less expensive to live there and I don't have to commute. I'm probably not the only one who is thinking about that plan. So if that happens, how do you, I mean, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but how do you foresee that affecting cities?
1: I think cities will be fine. Cities are great places of activity and um, they attract um, younger cohorts. So cities will continue to be the home of younger cohorts, the millennials, the, those between 25 and 35 years of age. They, what they crave in, in, Beyond work and recognition at work, um, is is the consumption of uh, social activities uh, that are and opportunities for which they are abundantly available in the city, and that can t- will continue to be the case. The challenge was for these uh, employers, employees who were not 40, 35 years, or twenty-five years old anymore, and they were uh, now parents, um, thirty-five plus parents of two or more children, uh, running back to their suburban home to pick up their kids and take them to their ballet classes or soccer or hockey practice right so um their lives were stretched stressed because of the commutes and uncertainty with the commute so Uh, I think the cities will not be um, much affected by this change it's only will improve and it should improve the quality of life and affordability for those whose housing needs are more than 500 square foot condominium in downtown and so those who are living in those smaller 500 600 square or less even smaller condominiums and are happy about it because there's just one person or maybe a couple good for you enjoy this is the right time to enjoy and being in downtown being near downtown but once you have a child um everything changes your your the demand for space increases even your car changes it, it's no longer a car it's a closet with wheels on it because all you do is shop and buy stuff and then leave it and then whenever you need a, something in the house you go open the trunk of your minivan and there you go 24 rolls of toilet paper right so that lifestyle is different from those of the younger cohorts and that's why i think cities will be fine as long as we have younger people if we are if the number of the proportion of younger people declines, then the cities would need to worry. But the reality of the greatness these cities, global cities, have been achieved comes at a cost. And there's no big city in North America and Europe, successful, vibrant, large city in North America or Europe that it has been able to to fix these these challenges. One is. Traffic congestion or transportation congestion, and the second is housing affordability. And you start with California, and you see how many people are lying on streets, sleeping on the street. You go to New York, you go to Chicago. Uh, These are great cities. Um, There's no doubt about it that New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and many other cities like that, Boston, for instance, are great cities. In in Canada, you have Vancouver, you have Toronto, you have Montreal. These are great cities. In Europe, you have um, you have London in England, Paris in France, Berlin in Germany, um, and the list goes on and on. But there's one thing, there are two things that are very common to these cities, A, uh, the housing is extremely unaffordable so people are underhoused and b the transportation transportation is is a very big challenge where some people spend two or three hours commuting to and from work and and um, over time with all the innovation and all the all the the brilliance of the intellect that we uh, brilliance of the people that we have and their intellect failed to make a meaningful difference addressing the two challenges housing affordability has just has has become worse and not improved over the last two, three decades. Traffic congestion, if you measure it with the average commute time, has continued to increase. And it will continue to do so if we were to try to go back to that pre-COVID-19 normal. We will go back to unaffordable housing. We will go back to unmitigated traffic congestion. And if that's the future the society wants, then sure, you can have it. But if you want to avoid that, and if you want to be able to say that I don't have to be in downtown of my city every day, I'm not going to a bar, or a restaurant every evening, then I can be somewhere a little farther away, somewhere where I could afford to live and have as much space that I really need. I'm not underhoused, I'm not compromising, I'm not giving up other things just to be able to rent or own a place in or near downtown. And that kind of realization would help people relieve a little bit of financial stress that they self-impose. Living in these cities near the urban core um, is very expensive and it contributes to a lot of stress that people feel because they're financially stressed to a great deal on top of it, You had uh, commuting. For those who, are, who have found affordable housing in the suburbs or remote suburbs, but now they have to be they are forced to travel back and forth large distances, whereas they can continue to work and be productive from where they are and, and, and not having to travel every day. If someone wants to travel and they want to do commute, daily commute, it's their prerogative. We shouldn't argue against it. But if someone can show you to be more productive than the status quo and be able to do so at a cost less to the employer uh, through telework, why not we embrace? that challenge it will help us with so many fronts housing affordability is one traffic congestion is the other one and in the beginning i mentioned the larger societal cost is the social cost of uh, emissions and and, and um, greenhouse gas emissions, particulate matter emissions, any reduction in travel by automobile, especially the private automobile, would be helpful in improving our environment, re- lessening our reliance on imported fossil fuel. These are good things, and telework can help us achieve those.
0: And it's almost like a no-brainer when you put all the pieces together like you just did, we could do something that would improve the quality of life and the quality of the environment. And and the question is almost, you know, to play it back to all the corporation and the government, why are we not doing that? Or why do we don't create more policies or incentive around that, right? I know we're venturing into a different territory here. But if I think about the future, there seems to be a great deal of human values in just enabling more of that telework especially now that we've proved that you know 60% of the people at least can do that without any impact.
1: So I well 60% included that 20% who are not working at all and 40% are working from home and um and so i i'm not saying that we would have 60% of the people telework without any problem but i think that we would have at least 40% are doing it and and if we were to try to get at least half as many that is 20% of the workforce working from home it would make a meaningful difference in in the in the quality of life for people and the environment and not. I think the challenges, uh, why we don't do it, one of the things is that we are used to addressing these problems from um, a supply-side angle or supply-side solutions. Um, if there is a traffic problem, let's build more roads. Uh, if there is a transit congestion problem, let's build uh, more subways. Or And if there is a, uh, an issue with... Uh, Um, housing, let's try to put more housing in near or around downtown. All of these supply side solutions do not for a variety of reasons first of all putting housing in the most expensive land on the most expensive land in the city uh, would only result in more expensive housing being constructed if you want to build affordable housing you can you can you should try to build it where land is cheap rather than where land is the most expensive and then if you build on the most expensive land in the city and the resulting housing will also be more more expensive than the rest so that solution doesn't help then if you try to build more roads uh, you need a lot of money. Now, the problem is we, the, the political infrastructure that we have, the political structure that we have in North America and Europe, it benefits from uh, building more infrastructure because as a mayor, as a minister, as a chief minister, as a premier, you can have an airport named after you or you can have a bridge as your legacy or you could have an transit system that when I was the premier of Ontario or when I was the governor of New York, we built 400 kilometers of new rail or something so that kind of rhetoric is needed to win elections but who's going to win an election saying when i was the governor of new york we had a reduction of travel by 10 percent and how would people say well that's a good mm. thing i should go and vote for this dude right so the the this kind of uh, n- n- the the missing plaque you can't cut um, ribbons um, by, by, you can cut ribbons to a new transit station, you can cut ribbons to a new rail service, you can cut ribbon for a new housing project, but you cannot cut ribbon to uh, a 10, 15, 20% reduction in, in travel demand. You cannot cut ribbon to a 10% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. You cannot cut ribbon to an improvement in air quality. So what really is tangible, what is really meaningful for the people uh, in terms of affordability, in terms of better environmental quality that is not as meaningful for the political infrastructure or political structure that we have constructed around us and therefore somehow the voters have to find a way to communicate the electorate has to communicate to the leadership saying it's okay if you don't build something it's okay if you can consider the demand side solutions rather than the supply side solutions only so the electorate has to communicate this that if you were to if, if a politician were to find a, a way to lower the demand for services and through this he can he or she can improve the the quality of life of the of the masses the masses should be able to say if you were to do this uh, we would vote for you rather than you just putting some new 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 uh Infrastructure on ground. I mean, there's in in Toronto, our politics is very much swayed by which politician promises to build more rail or subways, and and that that is their raison d'être. That is their claim to fame, saying that I am the one standing for more 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 subways and i'll build more subways and hence i should be your counselor or i should be your mayor or premier and i think that that kind of supply side solutions ignore the possibility of telework ignores the possibility of improving people's life without spending money or much money
0: and and it reminds me there's a saying in french right when Quand the va, tout va. When construction goes, everything goes. And I guess there's a little bit of that in our political incentive. Um, thanks. That was a, a lesson in, in political um, economies. My pleasure. What, what about the uh, future research on that topic? Do you envision doing a, a follow-up research report next year or after the pandemics? Are there other research questions that you're thinking about and that you want to learn more with regard to the future of work and telework?
1: I think uh, my interest is more motivated by the second or third question you asked, that why telework has not taken off. And I will continue to study this, especially um, people who will return to work after COVID-19, whenever that is, it's still uncertain if it's going to be 12 months or 18 months or 24 months uh, when uh, situation becomes um, controlled with the presence of a vaccine and other measures, uh, or in the absence of a vaccine but we are able to learn to be safe. Um, whenever that happens um, and people uh, decide no, telework is not for me, I want to go back to work. So I, I want to be there to see why people would do that. And and this is not for me to say that their decisions are wrong. This is not for me to say that they will, they are mistaken. This is for me to say, can I learn from how people make decisions? What is their priority? Is telework not a priority? And if not, why not? And for those for whom telework will continue to be a priority, I would like to understand more um, by, by learning from them. I think if my desire would be to start Um, uh, to launch long-term surveys uh, of uh, workers to see how they felt about telework before COVID-19, how they felt about telework or working from home during COVID-19. And um, then post-COVID, I would like to see what their decision-making is and what motivates to either continue teleworking or working from home. Mind you that if if you look at our report, we have given a breakdown of telework by different industries. And there are some industries like information and and culture where 80% or more more of the workers um, in those sectors. Um, 80% or more of the firms in those sectors are reporting that f- at least 50% of their employees are working from home. Which means that there are some firms where um, the, there are some economic sectors or, or labor force sectors where 80, 90% of the labor firms are reporting that most of their employees are working from home. So I would like to see what what kind of economic sectors in the knowledge economy, what kind of jobs um, trans- are are, are Easily modifiable to telework, and what kind of jobs are um, not not at all possible to be done through this? And, and then, see the problem, with the, the the challenge for us as a society is to find a way to rationalize the use of resources we we have, and we we only have finite resources. There's no infinite resource that we have anywhere so for us to manage um, and optimize the use of our finite resources um, that may be land housing or transportation is critical for us to be able to sustain ourselves now and to make sure that we leave a, a planet in a in a in a good state for future generations so for that to happen we need to see how people's decision-making is is happening how much of the decision-making in now and in the future will be motivated by their own personal well being. How much are they aware that the decisions they make will have a bearing on their children's lives and how much of the, they are aware that their future decision-making would have an influence on their labor's quality of life. So these are the questions that I would like to see. I would love to partner with companies like Amazon or IBM or, or Microsoft to see how their employees uh, are going have adopted or continue to adopt. I mean, I'm looking at the, the banks, the banking sector is one thing, uh, one big sector that is impacted. And. And most of the banks, their um, big banks in in Canada, we only have large banks because it's a very controlled environment. So our big five banks or seven banks have their head offices in downtowns, and um, pretty much all of their downtown offices are near empty. So um, and then the banks have not um, lost productivity of their workers. They may have reported losses, but those losses are not because their workers are no more productive. Their losses are because of the uncertainty in the market, uncertainty with the with the liquidity of the market, and, and, and the fear that it, it just has spread across across the economic sectors. But at the same time, workers in the banking industry, in the law firms who are not working from their offices, but are working from home, I would love to learn from them to see how the workers felt and when they were working from home. There are all sorts of uh, different views that I hear I hear uh, some parents saying like a father was saying the other day the senior banker saying this is the first time that he has been able to spend and see his children his teenagers and and grow um, because he's been able to see them during the daytime and which he wasn't able to do so in the past because he would leave at seven in the morning and come back at seven in the evening and he said it was a wonderful change to see his children in, in during the daytime or having a break at lunch and having lunch with his children so he. He, he thought that there's a an element of parenting that was completely missing in his life because of the routine that he had adopted for twenty years, and that break in routine is giving him in, new insights. On the contrary, I have some law uh, some lawyer friends uh, who are single and and um, they are facing a very hard time being on their own and working from their um, their very well situated but small apartments, and they would they can't wait to go back to work and start having that normalcy in in their lives of being socialized and whatnot. So also there's a Spectrum of of opinions. There's a spectrum of experiences. There's a diversity of opinions and experiences that one has to appreciate, but at the end, but and capture to see what are social values and are they are they in the direction that the society needs them to be, and is there any room for uh, for a, a, a readjust so that we can we can collectively and individually improve our lives by embracing new ways of living, new ways of working, and telework. Is is one of those options.
0: Well, it sounds like it would be great material for a follow-up interview when you're done with that report. Absolutely. And my final question for you, Professor Heider, where can we learn more about your work?
1: I would encourage your listeners to visit us as at www urbananalyticsinstitute.com. We put our research uh, and media presences there. You will see my uh, colleagues and others work and in our interviews with the radio and television and, uh, and uh, a copy of our reports uh, are also available at www.urbananalyticsinstitute.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your research with us. My pleasure. This was Abrupt Future. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardy Valley and I thank you for your time.